It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. Anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M. And then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is a pleasure to welcome to the show Patrick White. He is a professor of journalism at the University of Quebec in Montréal. And uh, we are here to talk with Patrick about an article he wrote in the conversation uh, about how artificial intelligence can save journalism. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thank you. How AI can save journalism. Well, the issue is that the current crisis of uh, the media crisis going on worldwide is a permanent crisis. Mm. And artificial intelligence could, uh, intelligence could actually help journalists focus on what matters, mm. which means doing uh, value-added reporting, investigative reporting, data analysis reporting, doing big interviews, big... Uh, files on political matters, make requests of uh, access to requests of information uh, on the federal level, on the provincial level, on the municipal level. So basically, AI as tools Hmm. that could automate some uh, really routine reporting, like reporting on companies' business earnings, Mm -hmm. sports results, election night results. So it could help free some time for journalists to actually transcribe interviews. See, if you do an interview with somebody during three hours, you have softwares now, a software that can do that in 15 seconds. If you want to transcribe a three-hour interview, it's going to take you four or five hours. So it saves time for journalists, and it also can help uh, journalists find more time to focus on great content for readers, listeners, or viewers. And that certainly makes sense in terms of uh, using these as tools to help uh, save time and 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 process some of those things that you're referring to. Uh, how could this save journalism? How does that fall into that idea? Uh, my my idea was it, it was a question mark. I mean, could oh, AI actually it? save it? Yes, I think that it's I think it's one uh avenue among others it's one response among others uh, i don't think that ai as such will be able to save it but mm-hmm. if it's part of the business model uh, of a, a local newspaper or a newspaper chain like the global mail has been doing look at the globalmail.com it's the largest newspaper in canada they have uh, created an ai called sophie uh, that's going to be uh, that's actually managing the home page so robots are choosing the top stories according to you know uh, the viral the is is the story viral not is it the big political news of the moment so the journalists uh, are not just copying and pasting anymore so i think in that regard if you see the success of traffic and revenues because everything is managed by robots at the globalmail.com from a home page perspective this has helped the globalmail.com thrive and has uh, have more personalized content. So AI comes in this regard with more personalized news content. It can also detect fake news, 
which is a really big matter right now across the world. Yep. And it can also detect deep fake videos. Mm. So in that regard, AI would be a big plus for news organization as well and for the whole society, not only for newspapers. Right. Now, uh, you based uh, your article on uh, Francesco Marconi, a professor of journalism at the uh, Columbia University, and uh, his article. I'm wondering, uh, first of all, Marconi, I wonder if he's related to the Marconi that originally broadcast <laughs> across the Atlantic Ocean. Um, that's the first thing that came to mind when I when I saw yeah. his name. Um, it, so the, the idea of using artificial intelligence, absolutely. Uh, the algorithms that, uh, that these things use are all, all created by people, of course. And... Of course, that has come up, uh, I guess, recently, especially in the documentary about the social dilemma and the algorithms that have been used in social media that are, are really uh, helping to shape things and, and, uh, and focus things and, uh, to some degree, um, push things in a direction that n- not necessarily uh, could, could benefit us. Uh, how do you see that uh, working? Well, the algorithms are a big problem because they are often biased. Mm-hmm. I'll give you one example. ProPublica, a major uh, U.S. news organization, discovered that AI uh, for the uh, Liberation Conditionnelle, when you want to appeal, you when you actually want to get out of jail, uh, it basically uh, lets white people, you know, mm-hmm. they rely on AI in some states in the U.S. to mm-hmm. free people from prison. Mm. which is totally crazy when you think about it, because Mm. the AI software is now uh, freeing white people from jails and not black people. That was the analysis that ProPublica uh, showed. So there's an issue with uh, algorithms. They Mm. could be quite bad in many ways because that's only what Facebook wants you to see. That's on your feed. Mm -hmm. Uh, News Mm -hmm. content right now on Facebook is under 4%. This is why... Mm. uh, Revenues from news organizations have fallen. If you look at Netflix, it's only going to show you like a few hundreds yep. or tens of, yep. of movies. Uh, you go on Apple Music, it's always going to be the same yep. uh, singer. Same thing with Spotify. Yep. So yes, there is a problem with the bias of algorithms. And that's why a lot of scientists are working on identical AI where you want to have a more or less biased algorithms with discussions from people in the community, from the users and everything. So yes, there's a big issue with algorithms because if the news content does not show off in Google News, does not show off in Facebook mm-hmm. or in Apple News or elsewhere, right. well, this uh, this great editorial content created by people like you guys, if it's not discovered, if it's not searchable, that's going to be a, a huge issue for the revenues for the news organizations. So yeah, Algorithms could be bad and biased in many ways. Right. But again, using AI to speed things up, as you pointed out, to help in many ways uh, could benefit, especially, you know, when you look at, at how things are changing. And, and as you point out in your article about making things more personable on, the, on a very local level, uh, you know, looking at breaking things down right even from street to street. I think you use that as, uh, from COVID, yeah. COVID as an example on that. And, and that can certainly have, have benefit for sure. And I could see how that would, might benefit some small local uh, organizations. Um, 
but again, uh, the implement, implementation of the AI, the, the, the software itself, uh, is, is, do you think there's a cost factor that would, that would get in the way of, of organizations accessing it? I think it would be an issue for small, uh, regional, local uh, news organization. That could be an issue in that regard. I think that probably the government should pitch in to help for, you know, high tech uh, support, financial support for news organization. Uh, yeah, so basically this AI, in a way, what it could do is that, let's say you want to analyze streetlights in Toronto and Ottawa, mm. or in a certain neighborhood of Toronto and Ottawa, AI could do this. The journalist cannot do it. It's all in real time. Right. The, the AI software goes through the data about streetlights, uh, pollution in the area, uh, the air quality, and it does the research, and then the journalist analyze the data yes. and produces the content. AI is never going to actually replace journalists, but it could actually do about 12% of the overall output of a newsroom. And recently, unfortunately, there were layoffs related to AI at MSN Quebec, mm. MSN Canada, which is the Microsoft uh, homepage here in Canada, and also at MSN UK. So there's been a downside to the whole thing mm. with a few layoffs here and there where you had, you actually had editors who were not journalists, mm -hmm. who were co co doing copy and paste right. of wire services, right. or they were just uh, putting a few pictures here and there. They were not you know, inputting a lot of uh, editorial uh, high-end quality or task. So that's an issue as well layoffs that that's something that has started to happen but at the same time with this big data society where you get data from pharmaceutical companies health information uh, all this uh, live data from environment canada about the weather mm. if you want to analyze climate change in canada and as i said a few examples like street lights mm -hmm. air pollution in your city or at your street corner AI will be able to do the analysis of all the data for you. And that's going to be a big plus for the content of your local newspaper if you can afford it. So yeah. the issue is a little bit the access to uh, the money to do the actual tool, the actual work. But also, you need to train a journalist sure. to be good data journalist. That's what we do at our university. Uh, this is where we train the students during three years, they have two uh, internships that is that are compulsory during their three-year program. They have to do data uh, analysis in journalism. So you're going to have to need people in newsrooms now with, you know, a hat of an engineer. You're going to yep. need engineers in newsroom and journalists who are really well trained to do this work. So that's where you were referring to how uh, the newsroom, uh, the, the way the the business model is going to have to change and adapt so that, that these people are, they're not working in silos. Exactly. You need to end the silos and that has to happen pretty quickly because we know that a lot of media don't have enough money right now to survive for mm. the next two or three years. So what you end up here is that if you have the people, some people from the newsroom sitting together in a couple of meetings once a month or every two weeks, talking about new products that would be podcast, video, uh, Zoom project with the readers. Uh, if you uh, 
actually do that, you consult the marketing people before launching a new specialized website or a hyper-local news site, or you want to launch a specialized newsletter or a specialized podcast or a video documentary. This is where you all sit together with the, uh, the UX guys who are going to design the, your website or the iPhone app or Android, and then you can take decisions. Let's, let's say today you have a newspaper in Ontario uh, which does not have a paywall. Well, that does not make sense in 2020. So you would want the tech people sitting down with the journalists and the sales folks and the marketing people before launching the paywall because your traffic is going to go down but you're going to bring revenues. Right. And today, if you do not monetize your content, uh, it's just not going to work. So AI can help that in personalizing the news on the homepage, uh, doing the layout editing of the news on the homepage, while setting up a paywall as well that, that's all automated and that, that brings revenues to readers and try to lead the reader uh, towards great added value content that's actually on the home page. So this this end of the silos is very important because otherwise you're just going to uh, hit a wall. And the, the wall is already there. And that's why in a newsroom, you need to think about these new jobs that are going to be created in, in, the, in the future. Um, I want to come back to what you were just saying there uh, about the, the paywall and and, but I first want to ask you, though, as a professor of journalism and teaching journalism at this point in time, how are you finding things changing? Is it, is it getting more difficult to, to train uh, youth in journalism because of everything that's going on out there, because of social media, because of all the, all the fake stuff that's going on out there? No, it's not more difficult. It's only that you need to tell them that the, the work of a journalist today in a newsroom, let's say CTV News, I was there 31 years ago. The job of one journalist today is the job of four people 30 years ago mm. because of multitasking. Right. So we, are, we have to teach them about multitasking. We have to teach them about uh, social media, how to behave. And social media is very useful for journalists to find stories and to reach people and contact people. So that the, the, there are some positive sides to social media as well. Right. Then you need to teach ethics. Right. You need to tell them how to source stories. Uh, how, if you break a story, you need two, three sources. You need to talk about how to operate uh, in radio, in TV, on the web, uh, newspaper. So you, we need to teach them pretty much everything, in, including data journalism mm. and investigative journalism. So yeah, uh, journalism is more complex than ever. But it's very fulfilling, mm. and there are still a lot of jobs opening right. uh, all across the country, especially at CBC and at Radio-Canada and Bell Media and Québécois, which used to own Sun Media in Ontario. Mm. So there's still a lot of bright future for young journalists, but the, the job is more complex, and really the multitasking forces you, compels you now to do the work of four people uh, 30 years ago because mm. you are expected to tweet in real time, take pictures, Right. Uh, shoot video, yep. edit the video. So you don't have a field producer with you anymore. You don't have a researcher with you anymore. Right. You don't have a sound man. You don't have a cameraman. Yep. You don't have a, an editor who's going to edit the right. video. So, and then you have to write the story yes. for the website, yeah. a quick and dirty, as we say. Yeah. And then you have a TV hit. You have uh, to do a live hit for the all news channel, which did not exist 25 years ago. Right. So it's quite demanding. So we are 
obviously trying to make this program, the journalism program, evolve all the time and making sure that after three years, they're ready to, uh, to hit the marketplace. You know, having said that, of course, uh, as you just pointed out, all of those things are only uh, are only available and are available to to the students and to journalism because of the advancement of technology. Uh, all of that stuff is so handy now. Our iPhones are so handy, uh, provide great video, great audio. They're, they're really great tools that help uh, journalists do their job. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, with the uh, iPhone today, you're able to do a podcast. You buy a small mic. Uh, you mm-hmm. you have good quality on air. You're able to edit video with some apps on your phone. You're able to do a live, a Zoom, a Facebook mm-hmm. Live. You're able to actually write your story, file it, feed mm-hmm. Twitter and uh, Instagram and, and Facebook and be able to contact people, reach people mm-hmm. via your phone, via your messenger, via all these social networks, all the data banks as well that are accessible via the internet. So yes, our job is, is easier in a way because you can do things quickly and search things quickly. I remember when I started at CTV, we had the telex in the office <laughs> and no fax. That's not the Middle Ages. That's 1990. (laughs) I had to beg to get cable TV in the office. I had to beg to get a laptop. It took took me three years to have a a cell phone that were in 1993 then. And uh, look, who's using a fax today? Mm. Nobody except the Quebec healthcare system, (laughs) which is a nonsense. Uh, Telex is gone. When I talk about the Telex Mm -hmm. in my classroom, people are laughing because they think it's the Second World War. So (laughs) technology has evolved amazingly and it helps in some ways. And I think that in that regard, AI could be one solution among others to help news organizations and journalists do a better job. I guess, though, with that that advancement, uh, it does. There is more care needed because when you you can you can file instantly, you can put things out. Uh, so you 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 want to make triple check your stories. You want to make sure everything is clear because once it's gone, it's gone and it's out there. Yeah, that's a, that's a real issue. You need to double check everything before you actually uh, publish a story. You want to cross check your sources. Mm. You want to make sure you do it right. So I think right now, being online all the time, 24-hour news can bring some negative side effects if the checks, the, 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 the double checks are not all done in advance. So that's why working in real time is putting an amazing pressure on journalists and yep. producers and writers. Uh, you want to be on top of things. Uh, the competitor has a story and a scoop. Mm-hmm. You want to follow it or you're going to quote it. But you better take your time. That's my advice to all the young journalists training right now. Take your time. You want to be right. Right. The importance is quality and not quantity. And it's not the speed. That's why I learned at Reuters, where I was for 11 years. Reuters is one of the largest news agencies in the world like with AFP and Associated Press or Canadian Press in Canada. Uh, the speed is not important. Get it right first. Right. 
Well, let's take the time to uh, let people know uh, about that they're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, anywhere across the country. If you download the Radio Player Canada app and type in one of those two coordinates as well as E-L-M-N-T-F-M and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. My guest here on Moment of Truth is Patrick White. He is a professor of journalism at the University of Quebec in Montreal. And we are talking about an article he wrote called how artificial intelligence can save journalism. And uh, Patrick, one of the things that you referred to earlier was uh, in the small organizations or any organization, uh, when they put up their, their paywall, and they, they want to get some, some action. They want to get uh, remunerated for the work that they're doing to, uh, of course, uh, keep their jobs going and keep uh, everything else going forward. Uh, do you think that there's a concern, uh, again, going back to the algorithms, uh, in terms of wanting to make sure that they're they're feeding people what they want to, to hear that they might be interested in, but not just feeding people information that is that that's what they're interested in. In other words, making sure they're giving the whole rounded story, you know, on both sides of the story, and not just falling into the the idea that we're oh well, they're interested in this, I'll just start feeding them more of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's very important. It's key. Uh, it's key what you're saying. I mean, the newspapers, the news organization of Canada, they have to be closer to their community. I think there's been this disconnect in the past 25, 30 years where, you know, the news organization are all Toronto-based or Montreal-based, kind of disconnected from the reader, the viewer, or the listener. And now with the big push for local news, hyper-local news, uh, community news. I think it's a time for these news organizations to really uh, reconnect with the readers by doing opinion surveys about what they want, uh, reaching out via Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and other means like TikTok and WhatsApp and Snapchat where the readers are. And the new generation of readers between uh, 15 and 35, they're all on TikTok. Mm. They're all on uh, WhatsApp mm -hmm. and uh, Instagram. So you need to reach them and you need to do open open forums with your readers, organize events. And that's part of the future of a newsroom mm -hmm. where you're going to be more than a newspaper. You're, you're going to be a 360 degree operation mm -hmm. where you're going to organize event, connect with your audience. And you need to know what the audience want, because otherwise they're just going to get crap or they're just going to get the breaking stuff from the Canadian press mm -hmm. and that breaking news, they can get it anywhere for free on CBC right. or CTV or global. Right. So if you don't come up with added value content, these organ news organize organization are going to die and they really need to strongly reconnect quickly with their audience. You know, when you, when you put it in that context and you think about the, the, uh, tried and true organizations that are out there, such as you mentioned CBC. Um, how how do these other uh, startups maybe, or these small uh, uh, newsrooms and organizations uh, try to make an, an imprint, especially when we know that there's so much fake news uh, being circulated out there that, that they are going to be uh, bringing forward uh, stories that, that matter, stories that are well-rounded, and people are going to, to look at them as, as authoritative uh, figures and, and people that they can turn to. I think the more you're going to specialize in a specific field, I, it, that's where you could end up having a big success. Mm. Let's say you want to launch uh, 
a new site across Canada in French and English about Canadian politics. Mm. You would be one of the few uh, news organizations across Canada only doing political coverage out of the province, out of the muni- your local municipality or the federal government. So I think if you specialize, you become authoritative in a field, you're able to uh, create a great podcast for your readership, you're able to offer them video as well, uh, content that has been curated by professionals in a very highly specif- specific field. It could be uh, native news, it could be uh, just local news, hyper-local news, or news about science, news about the environment, technology news, climate change news. I think the more you specialize, the better you're going to be able to connect with a specific audience. That could be small or big, and that, at that point, with that credibility in mind, you're able to monetize the content because people are going to be willing, maybe 15 20% of them, according to polls, to subscribe to personalized content, local content, or uh, added value content. So I, f- I find that niche media have a great future in Canada right now. What do you think about the idea of these organizations as they move forward, especially you talked about not working in silos, uh, that would be internal. But what about externally? Do you think it's a, a more important these days to to have partners or allies or, or uh, other people you can turn to or other organizations you can work with uh, in, in, the, in the news world? Yeah, you need to partner with Google. Google unveiled a $1 billion package over three years yesterday right. for newspapers. There are only 17 of them in Canada, including 16 in Ontario. That's a start. Uh, Facebook News, the news tally on Facebook has started in the U.S. last year. It brought a couple of tens of millions of dollars to large news organizations in the U.S. That's going to come to Canada as well. There's a new service called Apple News Plus, Mm -hmm. where Canadian news organizations have a a revenue-sharing agreement with Apple News. That's a good start as well, but it's not enough. So you can get some money there. I think one of the other solution is going to be partnering with the federal government or provincial government to uh, have a media. That's already happening. Uh, the the, the uh, $600 million package was announced by the Trudeau government two years ago. Uh, it's going to be good for five years. It's $600 million for the newspaper, the news uh, industry across Canada. So partnering with the, the giant uh, the tech giants partnering with the government, partnering with uh, with local partners in your area who will appreciate the content you want to produce. Mm. I want to go back to something earlier you, we were talking about. It's partly involved with uh, the AI, just the AI itself, uh, software, as well as algorithms. But when you were talking about that, what came to mind was the music industry. <laughs> what I mean by that is, you know how, how the music industry uh, changed rapidly? Uh, it became more of an, uh, an open source, I guess. And nowadays, when you listen to music, uh, there's a lot of, uh, you know, it, it's so much easier. You know, it used to be that you used to have to hire an orchestra. Now it can all be created in a, in a keyboard. That was one of the first things that happened. Um, so what I'm, I'm trying to make a parallel here between AI services and, and how things might be manipulated, I guess, uh, within that service to be, to made, e- to be made easier, but also uh, to not necessarily uh, make, make, have people do the work 
that they need to because they can they can do this with a software program. Yeah, the music industry is really a disaster. If you look at the streaming revenues mm. for uh, artists, even if you get 15 million stream, you're going to get, uh, you know, a $1,000 check yeah. or $200. So it's a bit of a joke. You don't want to replicate that model for the news business. That's, yes. wh that's why you need to push more for the tech giants. The, the tech giants, there's a, a, a law that's coming up in Canada this fall mm. to be presented by heritage minister Stephen Gilbo's from Montreal. It's going to come up with taxation levels for the tech giants. A, a, mm. Some part of that uh, money is going to go back to the media organization in the country. Uh, there's going to be regulations for those uh, websites for copyrights uh, and also the, the use of content by news organization. And there, there's a big push for regulation worldwide for the tech giants. So I think uh, as far as the news business is concerned, the good news is that AI is never going to replace journalists uh, entirely. The algorithms, uh, it's a different ballgame in news because in news you need the journalists, you need human beings to produce content. Mm. Um, with the music now, you can have all this software doing it almost entirely. Mm. And uh, the music industry, it's been going on for 20 years. Yep. The way they set up the streaming revenues is just not working. I just hope that uh, that this is never going to happen to the news business. But that's a big concern, as you said, uh, the way the music business has fallen apart mm -hmm. over the past few years. Right, uh, Patrick, we're almost out of time. I'm just wondering if there's anything else you can think of that you feel is important to mention just before we end our conversation. Well, I think that news organizations across Canada... Uh, if they don't come up with uh, attractive content, better content, and better collaboration inside and outside the newsroom, they're going to hit a wall. So that's why I think that in, in that regard, AI is a good solution, among others, to help. So we need to think outside the box. We need to reinvent ourselves. And that's not a cliche because of COVID-19. You need to look at what is routine. Is there stuff we can drop? Is that is there are there things we can do differently? And I think that way, if you're able to actually monetize your content, put a paywall on your site, launch new products like newsletter podcasts, you actually have people pay for it, even if it's only 50 cents mm. a pop. Sure. I'm, I I would say go for it. Right. That's, there's just still a bright future for journalism and journalists across this country, and I don't want to be negative at all today. Of course. Mentioning AI and uh, journalism as you teach uh, students, how important will it be for, for you then to introduce students to these AI platforms that are going to be made available? Uh, in what sense? Uh, utilization. Yeah, it's still very marginal. Uh, if you look at, at Quebec, it's not used at all. AI uh, on the Canadian level, Canadian press is using it for some translations, mm -hmm. but it's never going to be perfect. So every time a translation is done by the CP robot, uh, uh, Canadian press, which uh, is also associated with Associated Press, uh, the translation is not gonna ver never going to be perfect. So mm -hmm. you're always going to need a human being there to do the job, double check the facts, double check the spelling of words, choose a good headline and do a good work of uh, in-depth analysis and investigation. So I think in that regard, uh, 
AI is still pretty marginal in Canada, except in big organizations like the Globe and Mail or CP. It's it's still a long way to go, but I need to. I think it's time for a wake up call right now. We need to act. Okay. Otherwise, it's going to be too too late in two years. Understood, Patrick. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I want to thank you for taking the time to join us on the show. Thank you so much. It's been our pleasure. Uh, uh, merci beaucoup. That's Patrick White. He is a professor of journalism at the University of Quebec in Montreal. We've been talking to him about his article in The Conversation, How Artificial Intelligence Can Save Journalism. It's been a pleasure to have you listening to the show each and every day with us here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses. Don't go away when we come back. What is the We Matter campaign? Kathy Zaboken has that story next. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Well, hello, I'm Kathy Sabokin, and you're listening to Moment of Truth on 106.5 Element FM in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. You can also hear us on the Radio Player Canada app, and you can find us on our website at elementfm.ca. That's E-L-M-N-T-F-M.ca. Well, we all know the teen years can be tough. It's a time of rapid physical development and deep emotional changes, It can be confusing and uncomfortable, and with pressure from peers and parents and social media, all of those things combined can make it even harder. Well, now there's a new place for Indigenous teens and young adults to get some help. With me on Zoom is Chelsea Mulvale with the We Matter campaign. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, how are you? (laughs) I'm really well. How are you doing during the pandemic? I'm good. I'm managing. Yes, thank you. Good. Tell us all about We Matter. Yeah, so We Matter is an Indigenous youth-led mental health and life promotion organization. Um, We're a national nonprofit and charity um, for Indigenous youth mental health and life promotion. And what that means is that we uh, tackle suicide prevention from a positive and strengths-based approach. Um, It started out in 2016 as a social media campaign where uh, brother and sister um, Tantre and Kelvin Redvers um, started it out and they saw a need in the community where suicide crisis were happening all across the country and they knew that something had to happen. So from there it's being built up and now we have a number of programs that we offer and the, really the purpose is to show Indigenous youth that there's, no matter how many hardships they might face, there's always a path forward. Right. I was going to say, you mentioned a positive approach. It seems suicide's not exactly positive. It's very difficult to find a positive approach. So how do you go about that? How do you find a positive approach? What is the approach? For sure. So um, let's start with the We Matter campaign. That start was really the foundation of the organization and still remains to be. And it is made up of over 300 videos of Indigenous youth, role models, um, people in power in, the, in government, in employees, um, elders, all sending messages of things that they've gone through in their life that Indigenous youth might be able to relate to and messages to Indigenous youth of how they can get through their hardships and how they can find hope. Well, that sounds great. So who are some examples of, or what are some examples of some of the people who are on these videos? 
Um, we have Minister Catherine Bennett. We have um, youth from communities all over the country. Um, we have uh, Ashley Collingbull, um, all, all a sort of amazing Indigenous and non-Indigenous allies as well. Yeah. And how do you go about getting them? Um, so we have people can submit their videos through the website um, by going on to wemattercampaign.org and submitting a video three to five minutes long um, that they want to send to Indigenous youth and it would be hosted on our website. We also reach out to folks, um, prominent, fi prominent figures um, that could add to the campaign and provide uh, rich perspectives. It sounds like you get a tremendous response to your yeah. outreach. Yeah, we do. And um, what's where it really uh, hits home is when we can either go to community or we get those messages from youth and we can see that uh, it's really made an impact and um, that they share with us that it's, it's been positive for them and that it's helped them. I'm guessing teens really like uploading videos of themselves. <laughs> yes. Some do. Some I think are still a little bit camera shy, but um, it's definitely a great opportunity for them to start to get into some new fields of um, enjoying or exploring with uh, video as well as being able to do something positive for themselves and for their community. So it's all about sharing stories. So someone, a young person is struggling maybe with low self-esteem, maybe has suicidal thoughts and, and puts a message on a video to others. And then it becomes a, a huge shared conversation. That's what it sounds like. That's right. And it's really about when somebody does that, it can give them the power over their story. And it also allows others to see that they're not alone, that they might relate to those stories, and also brings hope to the center of the conversation so that we're not always just talking about the hardships that we experience and endure in our lives. We're also talking about the hope that can come out of it. And that's a really big foundation of We Matter is hope, culture, and strength. That does sound very positive and very hopeful because I think when we're feeling down in general, we feel like we're alone. That's really common. So mm -hmm. to, to just go watch 20 videos even of, of other people going through the same thing, how they're, how they're overcoming it is, is very, it does bring about a lot of hope and it's great. I'm wondering yeah. how you yourself got involved in We Matter. Uh, I personally got involved um, about two years ago, just over two years ago now. Um, and I was actually pretty close friends with Tanchai Redvers, one of the co-founders. We went to uh, the University of Guelph together. And we both were in similar, the same program and ended up also taking um, the same certificate together where it focused on civic engagement um, and global citizenship. And we both happened to focus our learning on Indigenous issues in Canada because it was something that both of, it was, both of us were passionate about. Um, and we remained connected. And when the position came available to 
join the team with We Matter. I thought it was just an amazing fit. Um, I myself have struggled with mental health um, struggles and hardships throughout my life. Um, and I, I don't want other youth to feel like they have to go through that um, and want to be able to do something and have a role in making that change. So that's really where I started to step into um, the role with We Matter. And then my role with We Matter has evolved as I've been with We Matter. So I originally led a, a program called the Ontario Support Network, which was a pilot program that has now evolved into our mini grant program. And uh, I then stepped into running the Ambassadors of Hope program, which I still lead and now am uh, a co-director of the organization leading programs and youth engagement. No, there's so many reasons for people feeling suicidal. I'm just wondering if there are some recurring themes that you, you have noticed, reasons that, that cause someone to feel that low. Mm. There's a lot of reasons, um, and I could list them out, but I think a really uh, foundational piece is the impacts that colonization has had on Indigenous communities across Canada. Um, and that's something that we thread through um, our teachings um, and uh, sessions that the Ho Ambassadors of Hope give. Um, so when, ambassador, when an Ambassador of Hope gives a presentation on hope, culture, and strength, they talk about the resources that we have but it really starts out by talking about what are some of those hardships that Indigenous youth might endure and how is that related to some of the experiences as a result of colonization, whether that might be um, substance abuse or um, experiences of homelessness or, um, or violence. Uh, whether that's in the family or experienced uh, through racism, a lot of these things can be rooted to the results of colonization and residential schools or the 60s scoop and some of those historical pieces that a lot of the times we don't talk about commonly in society. And those pieces are important to talk about so that we can start to release the power that they have over us understand the impacts of intergenerational trauma and move forward in a positive way. You know, it seems like just in the last few years, we're finally having these conversations and we're finally getting some understanding. I mean, I, as a, a my family were settlers, so I, I, you know, I never heard about these issues or anything facing indigenous youth. So it's, it's great to finally start having these conversations just so everyone can be more educated and there's a better understanding. Do you think we're getting better? Do you think we're having more conversations that are helpful? I think the conversations are increasing and there's a lot of amazing organizations out there, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, that are really trying to continue those conversations and that education. That's really the first step and that's how we can move forward to reconciliation and also to move forward so that we can find more safety and strength for the Indigenous community. 
Now, I noticed on your We Matter website, there's also a teacher's toolkit. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we have three different toolkits. We have a youth toolkit, which is for youth to use by themselves or with um, with each other. We have toolkit for support workers, which is for um, tool for support workers or anybody who supports youth to use with a youth um, more on a one-on-one -on -one setting and for teachers to use more in a classroom setting um, with groups of youth. And the teacher toolkit really helps guide teachers to navigate the um, the We Matter campaign videos, as well as a number of other tutorial videos that have been created and put together with consultation with um, support workers and uh, Indigenous community to really be able to provide support for Indigenous youth, but also just youth in general who might be struggling and needing to um, learn some things about colonization and its impacts or um, exploring and feeling our emotions because that's not something that's often talked about um, about expressing our emotions about um, two-spirit and LGBTQ plus identity um, and the, the list of topics go on and it really helps guide those conversations and uses video and multimedia at like the center of um, how to navigate those converse conversations just just tuning in, I'm Kathy Sabokin. You're listening to Moment of Truth on 106.5 Element FM in Toronto and 95.7 in Ottawa. You can also hear us on the Radio Player Canada app and on our website, elementfm.ca. And I'm speaking with Chelsea, with Chelsea, I am sorry about that. I am speaking with Chelsea Mobile with the We Matter campaign. And the We Matter campaign is a national multimedia campaign in which Indigenous role models youth and community members from across Canada submit short videos, written and artistic messages, sharing their own experiences of overcoming hardships and communicating with Indigenous youth that no matter how hopeless life can feel, there is always a way forward. We we're just talking about the teacher's toolkit, which sounds fabulous. Who put that together? Tanchai and Kelvin really led uh, the production of the toolkit and they did use consultation with and worked with a team to to get those put together and it was uh, it was a few years now that that was created and we've actually really been able to reach so many people across Canada and get it in the hands of communities all all over the country which is really important because um, I think a lot of times teachers, support workers, parents, families, youth, don't know how to have these conversations with one another. Um, so it kind of gives people the tools and the skills to be able to navigate conversations around mental health, um, hardship and suicide so that we can talk about it so that we can overcome it. And are these toolkits available to non-Indigenous teachers or are they specifically for the Indigenous community? They're available for non-Indigenous teachers as well. So they can be accessed um, through a few different ways. Um, people can email info at wemattercampaign.org to request a toolkit and we will send out um, a hard copy uh, if people re require a hard copy. Um, they can also be downloaded off of our website 
at wemattercampaign.org slash toolkits. And um, they can also be purchased in larger quantities um, through the store on our, on our website as well. Okay. And for anyone wanting to upload a video, are there any rules around that? Anything anyone needs to know just to just film yourself and send it in basically? Yeah. When, typically when we are working with somebody to film a video, we suggest that they film it horizontally. Uh, so if you're using a phone, you can use a phone or your computer. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, but um, film it horizontally and uh, try to just think of a message that you would like to tell yourself when you were younger or to share with an Indigenous youth who might be struggling and need to hear some kind words. Um, you can share a bit of your story and then share a message of hope. And keep it fairly short, three to five minutes is a great length. And you can just upload it to uh, our website at wemattercampaign.org. And it'll ask you to submit a, a, a release form so that we can post it on our website. And it's pretty simple like that. Sounds fantastic. And once again, just share with us your website, your social media handles so that we can find you when needed. Yeah, so our website is wemattercampaign.org. Um, you can find information about all of our, um, about the We Matter campaign, see all of our videos, as well as learn about all of our programs that we offer. Um, we also have Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and you can find us at wematter.org. It's my guest, Chelsea Mulvale, with the We Matter campaign. I'm Kathy Sabokin, and you're listening to Moment of Truth on 106.5 Element FM in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. Anywhere across the country, if you download the Radio Player Canada app, type in those coordinates and E-L-M-N-T-F-M, and then listen on your device of choice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is a pleasure to have with us on the show Michelle Young-Crook. She is the CEO of the National Aboriginal Trust Officers Association, or NATOA, and Michelle is striving to make Natoa the center of excellence in trust and investment, as well as making sure that the needs of Indigenous women and Indigenous youth are being met. Of Anishinaabe and Bear Clan heritage herself, Michelle is driven by her deep connection to her uh, Indigenous culture, despite not being raised in her traditional ancestors' ways. And this is passed on through much of the work that she does in public speaking and, uh, and part of a, a co-authored book that she did as well. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. How are you? I'm, I'm good, thanks. Now, you're here to talk to us about an event, a very special event. It's the inaugural uh, NATOA Indigenous Youth Viral Summit that uh, is on from October 6th until the 8th. Um, and uh, it's a developing tools for success. And, of course, that goes hand in hand with what we just heard about uh, the, the organization itself. And um, it's a, you, NATOA is a charity organization committed to providing Indigenous peoples of Canada with the resources and information to effectively create, manage, and operate trusts. Uh, an interesting premise for an organization, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this, this upcoming summit that you've got going on? 
Uh, sure. So originally when we had started out, uh, our main focus was trust and investment, which would then deal with chief and council and trustees. And after much consideration, you know, the next generation is not as prepared in those positions. So we're trying to give them as many tools as we can to make sure when they're in those roles, they're best prepared. So the virtual summit uh, that we have created is for breaking down the barriers around financial literacy and giving these youth tools for success in a three pillar framework. So the themes that we're under are mental health, financial literacy and entrepreneurship. Uh, we have personally done all the research we can to get out to networks. We've contacted anyone who works with Indigenous youth to make sure that they're aware of this event. Uh, we've contacted many universities. We've been making sure that we can now provide this as a free event. Originally, it was actually at a fee. Mm. And uh, reaching out to a lot of the youth, we found out that even though it was only $75, it was a barrier. Uh, a lot mm -hmm. of people, especially from COVID, just didn't have the funding anymore. Right. So we wanted to make sure that anyone could take this and have the same accessibility. So it's an evil, or sorry, not evil, an even <laughs> playing ground. Evil, that would be interesting too. Um, the topics discussed through the 3D event will give them all of the information that they're going to need to be able to make informed decisions, especially for business, uh, building credit, uh, international experience for work, um, how to travel abroad and better financially be prepared for that. And also we want to give them the tools for business plans, um, taxation on and off reserve, proper bookkeeping if you do want to start your own business. Um, also, what kind of business you need to register, whether it be, you know, sole proprietor, incorporated, that sort of stuff. Uh, and we also want to give them the tools for proper branding and social media literacy. We have found a lot of the times, you know, the younger generation, they think they post something and it just magically disappears when you delete it. That's not the case. So we want to make sure that they're prepared that whatever they're going for when they're older, that whatever you put out there is a representation of your future self. Uh, we also want to give them the tools to better prepare for seven generations. So mm -hmm. any decisions they make now will be in a proactive manner for seven generations to come. Uh, one thing we've been researching quite a lot with the Indigenous youth, uh, they're the fastest growing demographic right now in society. Uh, they hold power to shift the dynamics of the economy in Canada. As a national leader in trust and investment, we understand the urgency to support these Indigenous youth. And the best way to do that is through an inclusive strategy and a way to support them and make sure that they become the best leaders that they can in this current economic landscape. Uh, we are looking to launch our online toolkit by March 30th, 2021, and it will be basically a, a website that'll have the three pillars on there. So they'll have all the resources on one page. So if you're looking for mental health resources, we just compiled a list of over 226 resources out there that a lot of people, you know, Google is just not the easiest thing to use. Uh, so we want to make sure that everybody we put on this list is going to be reputable, that they're there to help. And they have an Indigenous focus. A lot of the times, you know, on reserve, Indigenous people don't have the same issues as, say, someone off reserve. And mm -hmm. the same with non-Indigenous people, what affects them mentally isn't the same as those that are dealing with um, you know, intergenerational trauma and such. So that will be one pillar. The next pillar will be financial literacy, uh, things that we found, you know, um, I was actually a youth not too long ago. And what I realized when I was in school, you know, you don't learn about taxes. I definitely didn't learn about on and off reserve taxes. I didn't um, understand, you know, do I charge HST if I'm on reserve, those sort of things. So we want to make sure that we have all of that up there for them for the financial literacy component. And, you know, budgeting um, now with the population growing at a, like people are having kids kids again at younger rates. So we want to make sure that they know how to do a proper budget uh, tools that are out there for them. And just, making sure that when they make these decisions and they're raising their families, they have all the relevant information. So we will make sure that this website is continuously updated by experts in those fields. We're also going to do an entrepreneur uh, level of webpage. And for that, we're going to have, you know, the different types of business plans, how to apply for a grant, different options 
the funding that are out there for Indigenous people and not just Indigenous, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for just women so that they can apply to those things. Uh, there's tons of programs for summer internships. So we want to teach them about that. We want to show them, you know, how to do a pitch deck or how to get angel investors so that they have, again, all these resources. So when they open their business, they're not, you know, completely overwhelmed, not knowing where to turn and not just depending on Google or word of mouth from people that don't necessarily have the expertise. It, it, it sounds great. Uh, and it's a three-day event. It's from the 6th until the 8th, and it's online. And people can find out more by going to the website at uh, natoa.ca and uh, look under events. Um you know, I'm glad you mentioned a number of the things that you did um, at, at just talking about uh, the seven generations, because I was thinking about that. And I'm, I'm really happy to hear about, you know, trying to to teach youth about uh, a financial literacy. As you mentioned, nobody learns about finances in school, not not certainly not things that, that are practical in terms of, like you said, taxation or, or, you know, any of those things that we use in our in our daily lives that we are exposed to. So it's wonderful to hear that you're doing all this stuff. Is it safe to say that that this three day event is going to it's going to a, a great way for the door to be opened and people can can then uh, delve into this deeper by working with you on this? Yes, I 100% agree with that. Uh, I feel that with this, it's going to it's first of all, it's one of its kind. I'd like no one mm. is doing this right now. You mm -hmm. know, there's little programs here and there, but nothing with the same focus as we're trying to get out mm -hmm. there. So we're pretty excited about it. Like I know speaking from experience, I wish I would have learned about so many things to do with financial, like even credit, yeah. like, yep. you know, you yep. get a credit card at 18. I don't know if people think it magically disappears. Surprise, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So just little things like that. We want to make sure to let them know and how right. to manage and debt consolidation and that sort yeah. of stuff. That's great. And and you also mentioned about the on, on reserve, off reserve, which is a, another issue altogether. It's great to hear you're doing all of this, this, this stuff. Michelle, I'd really love to have you back on the show so we can talk in depth about what you're doing there and all the great things and all the great work that you're doing, especially in terms of the focus on, on uh, uh, women and youth. I would love to come back. That's fabulous. Thank you so much. That's Michelle Young-Crook. She's the CEO of the National Aboriginal Trust Officers Association. They have a three-day event, and it is the first inaugural uh, Youth Viral Summit that's happening from October 6th until 8th. You can find out more by going to natoa.ca backslash events, and you can find out all about, about that. So uh, a great opportunity for youth to find out a lot about financial literacy. Thank you very much for listening to the show. I'm David Moses. We'll see you next time here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.